This is the Blockade Podcast with your hosts, Chris and Jared. You are listening to the Blockade Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freebus, aka Shut Your Trap. Joining me as always, halfway across the world, Jared Morgan. G'day. How's it going? Long time no speak. Right? Yeah. Um, this, we, we, we always say it, folks, but this is what happens when we're in that gap. We've discussed all we can about the last pack. We've speculated all we can about what there is to speculate about. And we have to shut our mouths about what we know is coming. And so we just kind of have one of these episodes where it's just like, oh, well, what can we talk about? Yeah. (laughs) What what can we talk about? I've got a few things floating around in my mind. Well, which... I've got a few things too. So we'll we'll all right. Uh, we'll see how we go. I, I reckon right. we'll be able to piece together an episode here. I I'm sure right. we will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. For those Come of you for the that, ride, folks. Right. For those of you that uh, watch us live on YouTube, uh, feel free to pop into the comment section and uh, you know and make comment. some suggestions. <laughs> 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 so I I went and uh, I I had an ear test today, Jared. The all oh, right. The funds of getting old. Are they still? Um, are they still attached? My ears are still attached. Oh, good. And, uh, they're apparently still working. the The problem yeah. is and this happened probably I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago or, or whatever. I uh, I suddenly became aware of ringing in my ears, which people okay. would know as tinnitus or tinnitus or whatever they tinnitus, call it. Yeah, tinnitus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things that once you notice it, and I honestly have no idea how long it's been going on, but mm. now that I'm aware of it, I can't not be unaware of it. Mm. And yeah. it's it was starting to kind of drive me m- mental in terms of, oh God, is something really terribly going wrong? I don't know. And, and so yeah, I had to go get my ear test and they were just like, no, you're just getting old. <laughs> you know, yeah. see, I, I have this like, I, at the moment right now. We because I've got the headphones on, like this right. sort of headphone that you see in the um, video. I, it tends to block out a lot of um, white noise. Yeah. So therefore, the noises in my head start to speak to me, <laughs> and um, some of those some of those noises are the the tinnitus that you're talking about. Like I, I can hear a high pitched sort that, of. That's um, what mine is. High pitch ringing. But it, it's that's all it is, really. And most of the time, if there's lots of ambient noise around, I just don't really notice it. So, and that's just it. I don't really notice it that often. When I'm going to sleep, I don't have any problem. Like mm. it doesn't keep me awake or anything. It doesn't bother me. But where it is is if I'm trying to watch a movie or TV at low volume so that I'm not blasting out mm-hmm. the uh, the wife and book teen. So that otherwise they're going to say, "Put on your headphones." And I I don't like having to wear the headphones. Um, okay. So, I don't want to. I don't want to, Mum. Wear the headphones. <laughs> so I'll have the volume at a at a reasonable level, but it's not too loud. But the problem is, is like in quieter moments, I'm trying to hear the movie over the ringing in my head. All oh, right, yeah, that's and, annoying, and that's annoying. So, see, I did, you can actually get, you know, you can get surround sound seven point one headphones, eh? You know I have that. 5.1 surround sound yeah, headphones. Exactly. So you can actually have probably a better movie experience with the headphones. No, on. because they don't produce bass that thumps your chest. I'm sorry, oh. but that. Or just go like this all the time, <laughs> and then you can you can get it right. Or get okay. get okay. one of those trans just... get one of those transducers that you can um, mount on mm-hmm. yourself and wear like a, a vest, a transducer vest. Look it up. J- they, Jared, a... Jared thumping is just like that. Reminds me of a joke I'm going to tell, and it might cause 
us a lot of problems. Um, but what right. I was going to say before we get to the joke that might cause us problems, um, <laughs> the, I did learn something interesting about the the tinnitus, and that is why you have the ringing in your ears to begin with. Uh, why is that? Well, okay, so you got the inside, deep inside the ear, you got this little, what is it, the cochlear or whatever, I'm not sure. Yeah, cochlear, it's got, little it's got all the little button. tiny hairs in it, right? Yes. Those little yes. tiny airs are what send the, the receptors and for the sound. Mm -hmm. Well, when those hairs, some of those hairs get really, really small, mm -hmm. um, they shrink down, and depending on which hairs shrink, can cause you issues, like for instance, uh, being able to go on rides that spin you around like a merry-go-round. Yep. Suddenly you can't handle them anymore. It's because your hair is now too short and it's throwing off your balance. Oh. But in others, they deal with how you interpret sound. And eventually if the hair gets too short, it basically sends a signal to the brain of, I'm not working anymore. I'm done. Right. right? Yep. And the brain goes, oh, well, we can compensate for that. Boom, just... ringing. <laughs> yeah, uh, or like it, while it's while your brain is relearning what your ears are telling it, it's essentially repatching. Like I'm doing this, I'm like doing like an old switchboard motion right, in the video right. here, repatching all its connections. Going, oh, we'll just ignore that one. We'll just take that, unplug that from the switchboard. <laughs> It'll be fine. We'll just use the other uh, other ears, and you won't hear it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You ready for the joke? That uh, sorry, folks. If you're um, <laughs> if you get offended easily, um, it's all Chris's fault. It's Send all my fault. And, and th I was telling this joke ever since I was even going to uh, private Christian school. Um, why is it private better? Christian school. I'm just putting this out there, folks. You know, okay. so uh, why is it better that Christ got crucified than stoned? Because it's a lot know. easier to make the sign of the cross. Now you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> not as bad as I thought, but still a terrible joke. Depending yeah. on who you're talking to, that's god awful. Um, yeah, <laughs> god awful. <laughs> Pun fully intended. Little yeah. pump. Yes. Mm. Okay. <laughs> on that note, um, I'm going to do my one and only pinball thing that I actually have. Okay. And and what do you know? What does it relate to? Why is the pinball app? Oh yes, of course it does. Why would I not be surprised? Exactly. So I had been following this rigorous uh, methodology of filling out a chart every single day. I was not resetting the challenges. I wanted to know what was possible within the time frame, right? Mm -hmm. And then after about 28 days, Zen changed the rules. <laughs> yes. Which and, I think, you know, as a caveat, you should probably expect to happen every 28 days, by the way. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, so anyway, they changed, they changed the rules suddenly. And now, granted, the only way that I even recognized that the rules got changed was because I was keeping these charts. Mm -hmm. But they changed them, and suddenly you were getting fewer table parts, you were getting a lot more tickets, and you were getting next to no coins which was highly annoying. I went from doing an average of seven coins a day to getting three coins a day. If I was lucky, there was a couple of days where I got zero coins uh, for the day yeah. and I was doing all four challenges. Yeah. That's pretty shoddy. That's tight. So I wound up getting finally getting enough coins, my hundred coins to upgrade my final table, which was safe cracker. Mm -hmm. Now the last time during the, um, the initial launch of the game itself, when I plowed through all seven tables in 16 days, <laughs> is what it took me to max them all out. 
Mm -hmm. um, as soon as I'd maxed them all out and was no longer collecting table parts, there was just no card to even flip. I didn't get a card. Right. It was like gone. So I was curious to see what's going to happen now that I'm not collecting a table part. Hmm. Well, lo and behold, I'm getting a coin instead. Oh. Every single time huh. I'm getting a coin. And I went, okay, well, all right. Do I continue doing the four challenges and that's it for the day and being very angry? Oh, the one other thing they changed, which was just, they changed the score requirements on Attack from Mars one ball. Mm -hmm. I noticed it when playing premium to get 15 star or yeah, 15 stars. It required 8 billion points on one ball. Right. Okay. That's, which that's is pretty hard. Brutal. <clears throat> brutal. Mm -hmm. But then Pinball was 45B pointed it out to me. And then I confirmed it myself that in basic challenge, it got insanely more difficult too. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, like it went from being only needing 800,000 for the first uh, five stars to being 2 billion for the first five stars. Right. And it okay. capped out at 4 billion for, I think it capped out at 4 billion for five stars or for 15 stars. Anyway, for that's just for basic challenge. And that's it was like, loss. this is kind of, kind of mean, <laughs> kind mm. of difficult. And then on top of that, you get the stupid safecracker uh, challenges, which are just like, Ridiculous. You kill yourself. Yeah. And then I already went over how I now hate Champion Pub. So, so you're whenever... slowly starting to like build resentment for all the all the tables in the game, basically. Precisely. Because of the model that you're being exposed to. Precisely. Great. Isn't that excellent? Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> basically I came to the thought of it's like, well, why am I beating myself up over this? If mm. I'm guaranteed at least one coin per goal challenge, even in basic. Why don't I just keep on resetting basic challenge over and over again and earning these things like wildfire? So mm -hmm. that's exactly what I did. I said, screw it. I'm not doing the chart anymore. I will, if I don't want to play the premium challenge because I don't like that table or I think it's too difficult, I'm not playing it. Mm -hmm. If I, same thing with the pro, I don't want to waste a whole bunch of tickets just trying to yeah. accomplish it when I'm going to earn the exact same amount of coins as if I just did the basic and reset the hell out of it. Mm, so for 25 tickets, like it, bargain. 20 tickets. Oh, 20? Oh, they dropped 20 it. 20 tickets. So, yeah. and, oh, and on top of that, which, again, talk about what the hell are you doing? So, basic challenge resets for 20 tickets. Uh -huh. The other three challenges reset for five coins. Uh, Why in the what? hell would I spend five coins no. to recycle that when I'm not even going to earn five coins in the process? That is, that's ridiculous. Five coins. So, you and, want and spending hard difficult. currency. No. And it's super difficult to be. And again, no. I I don't understand what the logic is. It's like, why would I possibly give you more coins than I'm possibly going to earn for tables that are way more difficult for the score goals? You should be giving me more for doing those, not yes, less. You would um, think. You would think. So yeah, mm. I I just I, I think um they'll probably find in 28 days when they look at the stats statistical data for that particular change they've made it hasn't been so successful yeah. <laughs> as far as re encouraging people to come back to the app. I would so, think. So I decided I'm going to farm coins like there's no tomorrow mm -hmm. because I want to have all 300 coins before the next table pack drops so that well, I'm not worried about coins. Well, maybe. It might be 300 coins or they could change it again. Right. <laughs> so, you know, 
<laughs> well, but even so, at, at least I'll be like there. So as it is right now, I'm at 260 coins. Mm-hmm. I'll probably have the other coins depending. Like the first couple of days, I was just, oh man, I was playing a, just a buttload of, yeah. <laughs> of this. And I was like, eh, that's kind of not much fun either to just kind of no. grind through it. Um, so I just, I dropped down to, you know, recycling a couple of times and just, if I can collect 10 coins a day, I'm, I'm cool and, mm. uh, and go from there. But then I've heard from other individuals, uh, one in particular who he's only got safecracker left. Also, he recycled over 30 times and didn't get a single coin. Wow. That's pretty bad. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. That is terrible. He's got over 70,000 tickets. <laughs> oh my God. 70,000 valueless tickets. So excellent. Things are Good. not quite balanced the way they should be. Just putting that uh, out there. Uh, um, just think how many tournaments uh, he could play on Android and then not get awarded <laughs> for the, uh, the tournament at the end. That'll be great. Well, and that's yeah. another thing we still have. Yeah. The Android people are still complaining that they're not getting any rewards at the end of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still got apps or uh, ads that are crashing the app, denying you of your prize for watching the 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 ad in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got this imbalance of coins. We've got uh, certain scores that are wonky. Uh, tables that need the timer turned off because otherwise the score goals are just brutal to try and achieve. Mm-hmm. The game itself. And then you put. The game itself is fine. It's just mm. the all the other stuff around it that is dragging it down. The the core game, the actual art of playing pinball, when you're actually yes. in the game, yes. and you're playing the pinball table. Yes. Good. Good experience. Yes. All the other crap, not. Bad experience. Yeah, bad. <laughs> but, you know, that bad experience can be removed if you pay the, the princely sum of $49.95 to unlock the entire table set in Australia. Uh, or $30 at the moment. Um, yeah, but those of us that pride ourselves on not paying anything. Uh, well, you've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to that. There so is still though, the issue of, and I think that I, I do agree with people. Hey, if you go ahead and you pay that fee, mm-hmm. why are you still getting in-game ads? Well, yeah, you, that should be like one of the, the main, main things you get when you unlock a game in the freemium model is usually the freemium games have a remove ads option as yep. a discrete option, right? Because yep. that's the thing that pisses you off the most as a player. But this Zen being clever, they want their ad click revenue and they still get you to view ads between the challenges, which I think, mm, I, I guess if you look at it, the the freemium wrapper around the game is exactly that. It's it's a It's a shell around the the main game of pinball you don't actually have to play any of the challenges or any of that sort of thing if you don't want to and if you've paid your money but if you choose to it's your choice then you do have to actually put up with the ads because that's part of that aspect of the game as far as zen sees it yeah so you know it's it just seems every fix that they do or i shouldn't say fix every tweak that they do Uh is making the experience worse Mm. And there, if, if there's nothing being added that you make, you go, oh, well, hey, that's a good trade-off. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm benefiting on this end if I put up with this. Instead, it's just like, oh, oh you're now I've me got again. that. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, look, I, do, I do get it. And, you know, if, 
if I was, if our primary platform was, was Android and, you know, it has been Android for a very long time for pinball. And it's only recently that steam is now kind of the thing that I play everything on. I'd be, I'd be spitting chips. Like yeah. I would not be a happy customer at all. I'd be leaving one stars on the app probably. Um, but yeah, you know, honestly, I haven't actually opened the app for probably about a month because <laughs> I, I don't have the energy to expend on this model of game. I really detest this this model, and uh, because my primary platform Steam, I I just don't. Number one, I don't really even have the time to play Steam. So why should I concern myself with with the uh, vagaries of the Android experience? Well, it's funny. Yeah. The the two places that I'm playing this, or reasons why I'm playing this, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. One, like today, after this podcast, I go and take my kid to uh, martial arts. Mm -hmm. I got to sit there on the car while he's doing waiting. It. So yeah, what do you yeah. think I do while I'm waiting? I play some pinball. I play some um, pinball. Yeah. The, the other thing is right now we're uh, testing the beta for the new packs on Steam. Hmm. It's such a pain in the butt to switch, switch. from the beta to oh, the regular is. because then it's got to re-download all the tables mm. and that takes a while and sometimes you lose data so it's just easier to stay in the beta until the beta goes away <laughs> yep. yeah and, and then switch over to the right yeah, so I i'm agree. not playing any other tables than mm. what is in the beta right now either so again boom then i go to the phone and i can play it's easy tables if I want. you pick yeah. it up you play it and yeah yeah, so, um, I was in a way when I was doing my hearing test today. I'm in the waiting room. What do you think I'm doing? I'm playing pinball. Playing pinball. Of course. So yeah. that's that is where mobile is genius. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that I that I truly appreciate it. But yeah, it's just you have to. You, you, I think if you, as an Android consumer of Williams Pinball, you have to, you you have to make a decision as as we've kind of just alluded to in our discussion here. Like you have to you have to decide whether. You just want to play the game and you don't want to have to involve yourself with the challenges and, and think about how you you are or are not getting good value from the challenges. It's like just like you would with a with a Farsight's Pimble Arcade app, you know, each each time a table pack comes out, you just buy the DLC and and that's it. You've got your game, you can play it, you've got the pro physics, you've got everything that you would want if you were just essentially wanting to play the game as a pinball table yeah and it's yours to do with what you want you play with it offline you know everything's there for you so if if that was me i would just be i would just be buying it um yeah. outline <laughs> it's kind of funny i was i was perusing uh youtube the other day and i came across uh, a video which was how to unlock naughty mode on uh <laughs> scared stuff regarding Not naughty mode naughty mode that's what they were calling it naughty mode oh um, naughty mode Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um yeah. and so i was i was watching it just to see what the person was talking about and they showed all the steps you need to go through in pinball arcade to unlock non-family mode which by the way in the in the operator's menu the Family mode or the non-family mode is set to default. Yeah, but clearly, oh. I mean that's that was the default mode of the table when yeah. it you know was dropped off. Yeah. So, but oh my gosh, I didn't because I know that I've I've done it, but it was a long time ago, and I remember thinking, well, that wasn't worth all the effort because mm -hmm. as soon as I exited out of Elvira, it was gone. And yeah. I was going to have to go do it all again. Yes. Um, 
And yeah, seeing all that, I was just like, holy crap. That was, talk about an experience that you don't want to go through. And he's sitting there going through all the instructions and here's what you got to do, here's what you got to do. And then at the very end, he was like, oh yeah, you also have to have owned pro mode. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that thing. Oh yeah, that's 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 just a little minor point that you Ooh, probably should have brought up at the liar. beginning of the video. Mm. Hey, you know, speaking of YouTube videos, you know how we were talking last week about that um, that guy that you're watching on yes. um, YouTube that was um, really, you know, wasn't really telling you a lot of information. <laughs> wasn't answering stuff. a single question, even though it was answering supposed to be answering all your questions. Yeah. Well, I had something come up on Facebook the other day, and um, it was from. Um, one of the guys that I, well, actually, it's from one of the guys that I got Star Race from, actually. No, okay. He said, hmm, so uh, could it have been by any chance a guy called Pinball Expert that this video was I being? don't know. Maybe. Because hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Pinball Expert is, um, well, this guy's boss. And... Um, <laughs> And the funny thing is, that, well, it, it's it's a protracted story, but it put it this way: it was it made him laugh to hear your comments about his videos. Hold on, I'm I'm looking up right now. Pinball expert, and yes, that is the guy. <laughs> I see the picture. He's got a very stern face and a baseball cap on, and that is the guy. <laughs> well. <laughs> so who got the good very... laugh? Not the pinball expert himself, but the guy that's the employee of him. Hey, what? No, that's no, that is the pinball expert expert, that dude in the video. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. The the guy that I'm talking about is, um, uh, is different. Okay. Um, yeah. So he, he used to, but there's like, you know, he's set up his own business now and whatever, but he knew exactly who you were talking here's, about. Here's the video. I'm looking at the video <clears> right now. <throat> top 12. So if you want to look it up yourself, cause now we're going to expose him. Um, yeah. top 12 <clears throat> FAQs from first time pinball machine buyers by the pinball expert, Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, that that's there. That's him. So the, <laughs> the other one that you should watch and the, <laughs> think about this: that at the time of recording this video, this guy was a Stern Pinball distributor. You should also watch. Should I buy a new Stern Pinball? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, you, you've you've got to watch that. I video. see it right here. <laughs> yeah. So so that one is one that you should add to your um watch later. Um, Q, because <laughs> I'll give you a, I'll, I'll summarize it without going into too much detail, but he kind of says, mm, uh, screw you, Stan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And, and apparently, um, there's a new, there's a new pinball expert video, um, uh, <laughs> coming out, which is going to surprise and delight everybody because it's going to be telling you how great the new Thunderbirds is. Oh, I, you know what? I watched a video again <clears throat> on YouTube that mm -hmm. was, it was basically titled the only pinball manufacturer in China. I was like, Oh, interesting. Clicked yeah. on it. Turns it's out it's, the fun, it's, it's home pin and Thunderbirds. Yeah. It was a really interesting video watching because I mean, they, they kind of delve into the fact that there's only one part on the entire table that they haven't made themselves. Correct. This is why it took him so long to make it. Yeah. Because he's literally, he's basically producing all the parts himself. So he said a while back that he did it because he didn't want to be beholden to another company mm -hmm. who was supplying parts. Because what he saw in the past, I think planetary pinball 
or one of these other like contract manufacturers were trying to get parts to do up their um, remakes of all their tables. And basically someone else in the pinball industry just cleaned out all their parts and they had no parts left. They had no coils. And so he could, he could see that happening. He thought, yeah, you know, I'm just a small pinball manufacturer here. I don't want to be beholden to one of these U S companies that, you know, gets a whisper in the ear, you know, allegedly from Stern Mm -hmm. and then, you know, says, Hey, look, we're going to give you, you know, X amount of dollars to stop production or stop selling parts to this person. And yeah. there goes their business, you know? Yeah. So he's so, smart I mean, in that respect. He's smart in that. And I mean, good on him for, for, you know, doing all that. I just, now, I mean, I know Jared doesn't like the table at all. <laughs> I didn't no, have horrible. that. I didn't have that experience thinking that it was a horrible table. I just didn't find it very like it. To me, the spooky pinball tables are all much worse. Um, Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm just saying some of the early ones. I will. Well, I'll say they're a little bit basic in nature, but there's some of their later ones. They, they've got a bit of depth to them. But it's this, not. A, it's thing... not a matter of depth. It's the matter of <clears throat> how they look. The the build quality. I don't know. There's something about the spooky ones. I just I don't care for at all. Um, and the Thunderbirds one didn't give me that impression. Um, but it also wasn't like wow, that was really a lot of fun. Um, no. Look and on top be, of that, it's got yeah. the horrible flipper button, which just the the Sarlacc pit of doom flipper oh, button. It's yeah. just it's terrible because it makes your it makes your finger go to the tips for, for the pressing. Mm. That's what you're that's what you want to be pressing with, basically, because it's so concave, your fingers just naturally go, and now you're using the tips of your fingers rather than using the 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 pad, pad. of your finger. Pad. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel right. Um, right. I mean, no, if, if I bought one of those machines, that'd be the first thing I would do is swap that out immediately. Yeah, and to right. anybody that is buying the Arcuda cabinet, which is using home pin parts. So I guarantee mm. you, you're going to be getting that exact same button. Cause that's the button that I felt when I mm-hmm. visited up at Farsight, just put on order right now, <laughs> some new <laughs> flipper regular buttons. $1 50 buttons that you yes. can buy from any, any pinball retailer out there. Yep. Any pinball spare part retail. You'll want them yeah. clear, I think, because I think they are illuminating them. So uh, you'll, you'll want right the clear on. buttons. But um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, but it's it's a good video though. It is a pretty good video showing you like you as opposed to a Stern Factory video where there's this giant assembly line and all these employees and and you know you can see how it's all chugging around. Mm. Uh, the home pin factory, it, I mean, it's tiny. And you really get a sense of, hey, if you only had 20 people making pinball machines, this is what (laughs) it would look like. This is what it would look like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a worthy video to to check out. Yeah. I did see that cross into my feed as well. I think Google liked to surface these sort of things for me as well. So yeah, I didn't check it out because I kind of know the backstory to it. I knew exactly from the screen, from the screenshot that was on the article. Oh yeah, that's home pin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, uh, it is, it is a very, if you don't know a lot of the ins and outs of what home pin have had to do to set up their business in, um, uh, in the China, uh, area, there's actually also coverage on a, on a previous episode of head to head pinball where they interview Mike from home. Okay. Um, shortly after his wife passed away, which has been mm. one of the challenges that he's had along along the way. 
and all the other challenges that he's had setting up that business in China. It, it was it's been a long march. What's interesting is some that. people think, oh, you're doing it in China for cheap labor. <laughs> he was like, actually, the labor here is more expensive than elsewhere. He goes, mm. these guys are highly skilled and they get their demand a high price he goes mm. what the savings oh and he goes and rent on the buildings ain't cheap mm. he goes it's not cheap rent for any of this where it is a bargain for price is all of the electronic components um and buying oh, all of that it's all right there so he doesn't yeah. have to deal with shipping he doesn't have mm. to deal with with Customs. any of that Right, it's, like it's, it's just right there, and that's where all the cost saving comes in. Mm -hmm. And then, as he's built up all these custom parts or whatever, and built his own part supply, he's not mm -hmm. having to worry about all that either. Essentially, he he can now, and I think he's doing this for the next pinball machine. It's actually not going to be a a machine that's destined for outside China. It's actually going to be a machine that's made specifically for the Chinese market. And you think about that. That's a big market. Yeah. That well, is a huge market. So here's a, here's a, another highlight from the video. Because he was saying most of the, yeah, most of China, they don't they don't know pinball machines. No. And so he had a getaway brought in. Mm -hmm. And I think it I don't I almost want to say that it had to be Frankenstein together, like from a couple of different getaways. Right. And put this thing together, got it running, and was like, there you go. Because he said he was having a hard time. And this is both through, you know, he doesn't speak Chinese or Mandarin or, or whichever one it is. I, sorry for saying speak Chinese. Yeah, either Mandarin or uh, yeah, uh, whatever the other one is, Cantonese. Um, so everything has to go through interpreters. But the problem is, is if they don't have, if they've never seen these things or understand, oh, how do you interpret that, right? So that was the whole point of bringing in Getaway. So it was like, dude, does this make sense to you now? And the people like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, right. The pinball, right. And so he said, okay. he said what was really shocking to him was, <clears throat> he would come in sometimes either early in the morning or he would leave late and he says the workers would be piled around the machine playing it like just for having a good time. And he yeah. was like, ah, see, it does translate. Yeah. <laughs> but then the problem was, was they were trying to copy everything that was <laughs> how Williams built getaway and trying to come to him going, but this doesn't work how we're, we're, we're doing. And he's like, oh, that's the whole point. I don't want it to be to this. Be Williams. Nice. This is just an example of what the finished product looks like, not how we're going to do everything. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, it was, it was kind of a, kind of an interesting, like I said, watch the video folks. It's time watch the video. 20, yeah, it's it, 20 minutes. It's, a, it's yeah. worth your time. Yeah, it definitely. I'll, I'll, um, I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show as, as I will. I'm good at tracking things down like that. So, okay, so we're going to have Pinball Expert linked. We're going to have this China thing linked. Uh, what, what else do we got to go for? Uh, what, what pinball stuff do you have? Well, I what did I do this week? I think I might have isolated on Star Race the root cause of the problem with all this weird behavior I'm getting. And it's it does have something to do with either the, the board edges or the edge connectors on the table because it was going fine. For, for a while and then I started to get the weird lighting thing happening again hmm. that, that I was experiencing. I was going, okay, well, it was fine just the last play and now it's screwing up again. So that's got to be interconnects of some description. So got out the contact cleaner again, um, ran my finger with a cloth along the front and the back of all the terminals and there is a bit of like black stuff coming off. Mm -hmm. And really it's, it's one or two things. It's either 
I don't know if the the actual connectors are transferring the black stuff onto the boards or the boards are doing it in reverse. But what I think needs to happen is that just periodically, unless I replace the board with a Pascal board, which is like the replacement for System 80 boards, um, I, I will just have to keep on maintaining these edge connectors and just cleaning them every so often, like every month, just go in there, okay. wipe them clean. Because when I did it, I thought, okay, I, I booted it up again this morning to check behavior. And I, I booted it and it did exactly the same thing. All the lights weren't lighting up correctly. There were like some lights on that weren't scrolling in sequence. I thought, all right, that's clearly a problem between either the 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 main connector that goes from the logic board, oh, sorry, not the logic, the driver board down to the play field. So I pulled that off, reseated it, sure enough, fix the problem. So that's definitely the connector that's got a problem. Probably the easier fix for me to do would be get um, John Gristover from JWG Enterprises and get him to just redo that connector. And that mm -hmm. would probably, in the long term, solve the problem. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'm almost willing to do that because I think I've isolated the problem enough now. That's that's it. That is yeah. the thing that's causing the problem. The other option is that once that once I've isolated either, it, see, it could be the edge, the actual fingers that are on that edge connector. They could be dodgy or it could be the connector itself. Now, I've had a look inside the connector and it actually looks pretty clean. Like the, the pins and everything look pretty good. But I noticed that on the the actual fingers that go into the edge connector, they're like they're down to brass. They don't have any um, uh, tinning on them. Okay. And I've I'd, like normally what I do is take it off and retin it. But I tried to retin um, the display board on this one and it lifted the track almost instantly. So you need really low voltage soldering iron, which I don't have. So I like I think it needs to be either retinned or something like that just to get it back, or maybe just use like a heat station perhaps. And and just reheat the pad like that. So, See, yeah, that's it's... the that's the aspect of owning a machine that I don't like. Mm. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind the mechanical stuff. Like, yeah. for instance, like I like I've said, I need to get new drop targets. I don't yeah. mind replacing that stuff. That to me is kind of fun. Digging in, yeah, you unscrew, yeah, you get in there, you you put it all back together. Hey, doom, great. Yeah. As soon as you get into the electrical stuff, that to me is just it's annoying. It's, um, it is. Like I think the the way I could resolve this problem is just go and spend four hundred euros on a Pascal board, because the guy that um that I, that we were talking about before, the not the pinball expert guy, but the guy who told me about the pinball <laughs> expert, um, he has done some work for this um local builder of all pe of all companies here called Hutchinsons, and they're a really big construction firm. Like you know they build skyscrapers sort of mm -hmm. thing here in in Brisbane. Um, and I think nationally as well, they're a national company, but they're really, really into Gottlieb System 80s. Oh, okay. They, they love them. In fact, they've got probably all of them wow. um, that were ever released. Yeah, they're hardcore pinheads. And so what he's done is he's done a retheme of a couple of these games for them. And as part of the retheme to ruggedize the system, he's put in this board system called Pascal. And Pascal is basically a drop-in replacement that merges three boards into one and uses all the existing edge connectors in the oh, okay. um, in the game. So you don't need to do any rewiring. You just plug, put this board in, and you're done. And off you go, basically. So, you know, if it continues to be a problem, I can I can look at maybe doing that. But you know, that then adds a complication. And that is, it adds an extra amount of money that I have spent on the table. And is the I table even it. worth that? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's probably not. That's the thing. Exactly. Like, 
like I'm I'm getting to the point now where I've spent close to I think the last count would have been around three thousand five hundred dollars mm-hmm. total on this table to get it to where it is now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure whether anyone would actually pay that for this table. I mean, it's a rare table. There's only 800 produced, but, you know, it's a question. It's a question. Like, I've seen other Godlieb System 80s going for around 2,500, which are just regular, like, standard bodies. And I don't know. I don't know if people would actually pay that much for it. So That's that's what I've had to keep in mind with my 8-Ball Deluxe and Firepower. Yeah. Um, unless you're doing a high-end restoration, uh, you know, you're not going to get the money back. No, these stables they sell for maybe a thousand bucks tops. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, you know even though I've clear coded the the playfield and I've done some touch-ups here and there, it's it's by no means a restoration no. quality touch-up. No. Like this is this is the best that I could do with the resources right. that I had. But, you know, it, I'm, we're not talking, there's this guy here in Australia called Savage Restorations and the work he does on playfields is just astounding. Like he oh, will yeah. take, he, he will take like an absolutely shot playfield, retouch it, and then put this clear coat on that defies explanation. You just mm-hmm. have to see it. It is amazing. So that is what the pinball collector assumes as a as a play field right. that's been redone because that's like people would, were telling me with uh they were like well why don't you just buy a brand new firepower play field mm. i'm like well because it's gonna cost me five or six hundred dollars i spent yeah, that- five hundred dollars on the entire machine mm. and if i'm gonna drop that much money on the play field well you better believe now the backlash better start looking really good and i better mm-hmm. have the, all the proper you know the there's not going to be specks of dust and, and dirt and grime all over all the wires or anything. It's gonna it's gotta all look beautiful in order to then sell command the price that you want. Tops yeah. three grand. Tops. Yeah, and that's that's for like a mint. A exactly. mint one. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I just need to look, I could there's two ways I can look at this. I can go, look, I've had so much fun doing the work on this game, it's been a blast and I would do it all again, honestly. It's been an absolute pain in some respects to to do the thing up, but it's been all the right sort of pain for me. Right. I've really enjoyed it. So I could get it to the point where if I sold it, I would feel okay with actually selling it. So yeah. that would be like, you know, I'm not selling a lemon essentially because I, right. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to actually like go, hey, this this game, look at this. And then, you know, when people get at home and they start running into the sort of similar problems that I am, they then have to go and, and repair it. But if I could just make cost back on it, I'd actually be pretty happy with that if I sold it. But, yeah. you know, the thing is the pinball market down here is insane at the moment in Australia. Like you will see people are selling, you know, games that have had 40 plays on them for basically the same amount as they took them out of the box for. Or maybe, yeah. you know, a thousand dollars less. And people just going, Yep, shut up and take my money. I'll have that. And, you know, project pins down here, which are like, you know, people going, You look, this thing, the the, the playfield presents well, but look, it's not booting. It's nearly there. The lights are coming on, but it's not booting. It's two thousand dollars. Yeah. So for a non working game, two thousand dollars in good condition. So this is the sort of market we're facing down here. And, you know, which makes me think, well, maybe I could actually get that money back for it for the right collector who actually wants it. So, yeah, I don't know. 
Um, or I could just keep on enjoying because I'm I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Like you know, after you get the connector problem sorted out on the on the table and it starts to work well, it's great. Like it plays really well. So yeah, I don't know. It might just hang around for a bit. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, funny. Well, I, you know how you get your little uh, if you're on Facebook, they'll throw up now and then. You know, here's a memory yeah. from a while. Yeah, I got a here's a memory of <laughs> and it was my kid playing fireball or firepower. And you got to understand, I only had that up and running for a month and a half before I took it apart. <laughs> and that memory was from six years ago. <laughs> wow. What, six years ago? Yeah. Far out. Oh, I'm like, I really need to. I, I, and I've already said what I'm. Uh, my just put it back now, together. Play it. I'm just going to put, yeah. put the decals back on, put a final coat of clear on, and then I'll put it back together. That's yeah. Yeah, totally. And then do you know what? It's going to be great. Like yeah. it's going to play well, um, and it's going to be like the play field is going to be in much better condition than it was when you got it. And you know, I think there's something to be said in some respects for play condition tables. Like I'll tell you that there's this game on the floor at Netherworld. It's called Trident, and it is a Stern Electronics pinball machine. And it this thing, it, it is probably one of the most reliable pinball machines on the floor. Right? Like it it rarely malfunctions, as far as we're led to believe. And I know that the the guy who runs this machine had it when we were actually doing the pinball tournament out at a Green Slopes Bowls Club. So this machine has been in his possession, earning him money for, oh, I'd, I'd have to say probably something to the order of three to four years. And it would have paid for itself five times over by now because I know he got it for a good price. And, you know, the thing is worn. The play field has got you know, art missing from it everywhere. And, you know, plastics are in good condition, but the play field, it's, it's getting pretty worn. But do you know what? doesn't matter. It's still fun to play. You can still see everything. Everything works relatively okay. So who actually cares? Like, it, it flips, it works, it's fun. Who cares? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So in all this uh, time of, of being in between pinball stuff to speculate about and uh, playing or whatever. I, mm -hmm. I went and, and this again, it, God, it all starts from stupid YouTube. So mm. my favorite band for many, 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 many years, and still to this point, basically was a new order. Okay. And uh, my, if you want to say current active band, it would be nine inch nails, which, right are you know two wildly different <laughs> sonic experiences but anyway yeah, right. in my youtube stuff i came across some interviews with uh peter hook who was the bassist for new order okay and they were recent interviews and you gotta understand when you know back in the 80s next to no information about anything new order ever popped up mm -hmm. and they were very this very much enigmatic band didn't know what was going on so also I'm seeing these interviews. I'm like, oh, sweet. I can actually learn something. So I watched all these interviews only to find out. And I knew this, but I didn't really understand it. But Peter Hook's no longer in the band. He basically left the band and then the band reformed, even though he thought the whole band was splitting apart. But they don't actually own the name New Order. They have to license it from New Order. Oh, <laughs> which is kind right of eh? funny. Um, and... Uh, and he was talking about the major, like, basically they were fighting the entire existence of the band. I was like, oh, I didn't know, all, you know any of this either. So, yeah. um, 
that then brought me back. I was like, you know what? I remember there was a documentary that I never got to watch way back in the day. I bet that's up on YouTube. So sure enough, type it in. Well, oh, yep, there it is. New Order Story. So I watched that. So <laughs> I watched that, and then I'm like, I wonder if there's any books that I haven't you know, been familiar with. Turns out that Peter Hook has written three <laughs> books. And I, wound right. up, and I wound up reading all of them. Um, they're basically memoirs. So the, the first book is called uh, The Hacienda, How Not to Run a Club. And this is what we're going to talk <laughs> about mainly because it pertains to my, uh, my uh, fancy of opening up a pinball. Uh, right. Kid. Okay. Yeah, so we'll, right, we'll, right. we'll touch upon that. But anyway, the, the Hacienda, for those that don't know, was a nightclub in Manchester that uh, Factory Records and uh, New Order basically funded. And it was open for, I believe, like 15 years. And it's the it was the epicenter of what they called the Manchester scene, uh, that style of music, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that style of club, the acid house and, and uh, the, the rave culture, all that it emanated from this place. Uh, basically they were the ones that were the reason why ecstasy got introduced into England. <laughs> right. Yeah. It all spurned out of, out of this. Um, and the amazing part is it never made a penny. Right. Not it, a ran, it ran in the red. Well, there were some years that it turned a profit, but unfortunately they owed so much money that there was no profit to be distributed. It was, they ran in the red the entire time. So basically I just managed to pay off some bills with the profit uh, they made. Well, yeah. Barely. Uh, or, or hold off the creditors more or less is, is what you wind up being. Um, yeah, yeah. But then he he also wrote this other book. Uh, it was called Unknown Pleasures Inside Joy Division, and then Substance Inside New Order. So, oh, and I had also just watched because uh, it was in my DVD rack, and I was like, oh, I haven't checked that out in a long time. Twenty um, Four Hour Party People, which is about that whole scene. Scene, right? Anything that you've ever seen about Joy Division or any of the movies, it's always about Ian Curtis and always so somber and how and and you know brooding and everything. And and I've always had this hard time understanding how the music went from Joy Division to New Order because New Order was always so light and uh, jubilant. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, in a couple of these things, even in Twenty Four Hour People, Party People, they talk about how. The reason why the band and a whole bunch of bands even formed was because they went to a Sex Pistols show and they fancied themselves punks. And I never associated Joy Division with punk in the least. Mm -mm. After reading the book, it's like all the pieces are connected. And you start seeing, oh, oh, that's how, oh, and and why they sound the way they sound. Half the time it was by sheer accident. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's amazing all these little things that, uh, uh, you know, pop in. And and then you get into New Order, the, the that book, Substance, and it is basically Peter and uh, Bernard Sumner, the singer, just at each other's throats the entire time. Um, and for anybody that's uh, watched that Netflix documentary called The Dirt, which is on all about the debauchery of Motley Crue, and they have a book that's filled with all the debauchery, Turns out New Order was just as debauched. <laughs> Isn't that the case with a lot of 80s groups, though? Well, when you like, find out that was basically they were doing like three grams of Coke a day. Well, that's um, a fair bit of Coke. It's yeah. just a fair bit. You know, I mean, these people were off their heads 24-7. Yeah. It's um, yeah. and, 
and not just for a couple of years. It's like the entire eighties and most of the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all, all of the albums produced during that time were under the influence. Big every time. single one, every yep. single one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's it, just amazing. And, it, and none of that comes through in the music, which is what no. I find fascinating. Um, but anyway, the, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself the question, what would it have sounded like if they weren't? Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that Peter Hook says is he goes, we sounded our best when we were most at each other's throats. Ah, he says the tension is what made the music what it ah. was, but there was a breaking point where if there was too much tension, then they just stopped talking and then the music started falling apart again because right, everybody yeah. would evolve into their own little camps. He used yep. to say about how, like they would, they would, he was a day person and the rest of the band were night owls. So mm -hmm. he'd come in, lay down his bass tracks and then leave and then come back the next day and the song would be completely different. Wouldn't have any of his bass in it. It would be all this electronic sequencing and guitars. And then he would have to go in and put his bass in. He says the second he picked up his bass, everybody would scram and leave. <laughs> and so right. he was always trying to fight to put his bass in, which is funny because the very nature of their sound is Peter Hook's bass. Just, I mean, yeah. so it's asked that whole, that whole tension. So that's very interesting. Eh? With the Hacienda, yeah. And why I found this fascinating was, the mistakes they made right off the bat. So right off the <laughs> bat, rather than buying the property that they were going to put the club in, they went to lease it. Right. And they signed a 25-year lease. 25 years? 25-year lease. Because it would have been cheap, like getting a lease for 25 years. You would yeah. think, but you're locked in for 25 years on a <laughs> nightclub. Yeah, which is generally, you know, transient. Right. So then they hired, and, and the, the, the building that they were in, they used to build yachts in. It was a boat where they manufactured boats. Um, I, I shouldn't say yachts, sailboats. Sailboats. Yeah. Um, and so then they hired a, a, into this designer to design the facility. And they basically just gave him a blank check. Said, go for it. And he came out with his budget and they all went, oh, okay. And then promptly doubled the budget of what it was all going to cost. And the club that he produced, as they put it, it was too far ahead of its time because all the clubs look like what it looks like, what that club looked like then. But then nobody was like, why would I want to go here? Because they basically made it too light and airy with the paint scheme, which they said, then they constantly had to repaint because it got dirty so fast. And then it was also too much of an open space, like tall ceiling and everything, which made it, that was fine if you had the club packed out with 2000 people. But when they first opened and they only had like 40 people, it was like standing in a giant cavern. So wouldn't be anything like, well, it wasn't the, well, yeah, well, they did say the acoustics suffered greatly for it, yeah. but it also just was like, how am I supposed to feel comfortable getting down and groovy when I feel like I'm standing in the middle of a giant warehouse? Yeah. You know, rather than being in a tight confine. Yeah. And then they made the mistake of being open seven days a week. Oh, <laughs> so it was like, oh, yeah, I can just go to this thing whenever. It's not like a destination, right? Yeah, well, and part of the the deal with Manchester for getting their license was they did it as a, a membership club. So people uh, had to buy a membership, and that's what got them in. 
Um, and so they were viewing it as, well, we want this place to be a place that you can just hang out and enjoy. Um, but it was costing more to obviously run and employ the joint than it was customers coming in. Yeah. And the, the, oh my gosh, the bookkeeping on this place was just so out of control. Uh, nobody knowing what, but one of the things right off the bat, they didn't have enough money. So they looked for somebody to help uh, pay for this. Mm-hmm. And so they went to the local brewery that they were going to be getting their beer from the beer. The brewery was like, yes, we'll help fund it. But the bad news was that then they couldn't buy any of the alcohol at a discounted rate. Oh, because the, <laughs> because the, brewery. the brewery wants his money back, which meant that then they had to charge more money for the beer than other clubs in the area. Well, they didn't right. want to do that because then people were going to come. So they basically sold the beer at the same price that they were paying for the beer. So they never made any money off the alcohol. Which is kind of the main thing you make the money on. Exactly. Exactly. Club because that's where you make the, the, the cash. So yeah. this is so I'm thinking about all these things based off of our discussion of what it would take to open a pinball uh, arcade and how you'd make your money going, holy crap. Yeah. You can't just build a place that you just want to hang out in because no. you think it'd be cool. Cause that's not going to bring you the money. You know, this is the thing I, I think we, we, in Brisbane, this is related to something that I, I heard recently in Brisbane and that there's this guy, he's well known in the Brisbane pinball scene. His name's Dr. John Cosson. And he, he's, he's got a lot of pinball machines and he actually opened up a little, he took rent out on this place and he opened up this, this um, sort of place called, he called the Grotto. And I think he put about 20 of his machines on location in the site and found out the other day that it's, he's closed it down and he closed it down because he was finding, well, you know, I, I only open it up, you know, every so often. And it's like I've got to pay rent on this seven days a week. And uh, I, it just like, even though, you know, he's like a, a surgeon, I think. So he's not short of cash, but still, even he was going, this isn't just financially viable to do. I've got to get rid of this. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, I think it's a very important point to make about how, like, how you balance your opening hours with the revenue that you expect to take in. And it's right. got to be, like if you're opening, for example, just on the weekend to catch a weekend trade, for example, or late at night, for example, when people are back from work and going to that area where you've got all those things that they might want to do during the evening, you know, that's, uh, you got to do some careful math mm-hmm. about how that's going to work financially. Because if you don't get that right, you're in, you're in the shiznit. Well, that's what sure. we have a, a place locally. I don't know if they're national or not, um, but it's basically called Three Day Suit Broker. And oh, yeah. that's where they've done the math where they're like, we're going to be open for three days a week. That's it. Mm-hmm. Because and that, yeah. we know that we're not selling suits midweek to the businessman. No, we're only going to sell no. them on the weekend. When so, you've got time. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's smart. Like you've, you've got to be self-aware enough to go, look, you know, we need to know when we're going to open. And I think in the, in a lot of cases, unless you have like things like beer and you're a pub or something like that, there's very little reason why you would want to open up on any day of the week yeah. that people aren't don't have disposable time at their hands right. and right. the weekend would probably be the time to do it and that would that would really keep your operational costs down for like from a power perspective and all that sort of stuff but it's also, it also when you think about every arcade the pinball arcade that you hear open up it's usually because the person already has a collection of pinball machines 
Yeah. Nobody's so doing what I was saying, which is starting at zero and just, you know. So essentially, that, and you're right, that really does change the the balance of the yeah. startup cost for this. And like you, you're basically going in with essentially that $100,000 worth of pins already got. Right. You're just looking for a place to put them and a place to house your passion. And that's exactly. a, that's, that like takes, well, $100,000 off the ticket. So yeah. that's going to make a very different business proposition. Exactly. Right there. That's just renting utilities and a bit of marketing. You know? So I, I think I mentioned that uh, Barcade was opening uh, a location here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's now open. And so I, I haven't gone there, but I was reading somebody's posts about it and everything. And what Barcade even went and mentioned, they go, we've got enough locations now that we have a whole mess of machines. That you and can so we'll just rotate them in across all of our facilities. And it's mm. like, yeah, so you're, you're, your utilization rate is always going to be at, say, 90%. Yeah. As opposed to having to pull a machine, having it sit so that you have room for other machines to come in, and therefore your utilization rate just goes down the toilet. Down, yeah, exactly. Um, like you've got you've essentially got money making devices not making money because right. they're they're off the floor. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a big problem. I, so. I know that from when I worked at uh Panavision, the it's a motion picture rental house uh, mm-hmm. for camera gear Lenses and stuff, yeah. And they <laughs> there was two locations in the Los Angeles area, and I worked at this one that was in right in the heart of Hollywood, and then there was another one that was over in the valley. And the valley one is kind of that was that was where manufacturing was. It was the home office. It was the you know the prestige thing. And the one that was in Hollywood was basically where you went if you want to make a music video, a commercial. That's where you, you went, went there to grab your gear. You got yeah. your gear. So everybody would check the gear out on the weekend. He'd come back on Monday, and the and the gear was just constantly turning over. Sure, and they yeah. and they ran a utilization uh, of our lenses and our camera bodies, mm-hmm. and our lenses had a utilization rate of something like ninety to ninety five percent, and the wow, camera bodies awesome. were, I think, eighty percent. That's utilization really high. Yeah, high. I mean, it's it's incredible because basically your camera bodies are going to have to have time off. To get serviced and then you know be put back in play. And there's also the fact that uh certain camera bodies would go in and out of fashion for what people would would use, right? Yeah. Compare that to the other location. The other location, their lens utilization was something like 50, no, I think it was 40%. And the camera bodies were maybe 60%. And that's basically because camera bodies, they did a lot of features and television shows. So the camera rise would be out for long periods of time, but the lenses, because they were always catering to these high end, uh, DPs, directors of photographies that once the, that DP found a lens, uh, package that he liked when he was done with his show, he'd go put that on hold and they go, okay. And then they'd go and put it on hold and nobody could check it out until he worked the next time. So, is what was this guy paying for the hold or no, no they were doing oh. it to keep him as a client because okay. they because there's lots of other camera rental houses and they didn't oh, want right. him going to another camera rental house and so it would be like sure no we'll hold we got plenty of lenses well our location was always running out of lenses so we were constantly calling over there going do you have this lens can we use it we just need it for the weekend and, stuff. and they were like didn't want to do it and so eventually we got a new president and and he had looked at the numbers and he was like 
Oh no, nope. none of that. We're not. <laughs> yeah, no, these lenses only make money when they're actually being used, mate. So, exactly. like, let's use the lenses, hey? Exactly. Yeah. So, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thunk it, right? Yep, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, well I guess I that's that, a show. That is. That is kind of a show. Go figure. Yeah. See, yeah. even when we have nothing, we can fill it. <laughs> there's one thing. There's one thing that I've learned this week as well, and this is um, to do with gaming on the Surface Book Two. Hmm. So I've been finding at certain points in playing pinball games, the performance is going great, great, great. Then it just goes to the toilet. I get stuttering and all sorts of crazy stuff. And yeah, you know, this thing's got a, a GTX 1060 in it with four gig of RAM. Like that's a pretty decent um, video card. So I was going, what's going on? So I looked online and some videos and um, I found that uh, they uh, there's a thermal throttling issue in this particular laptop. So it's not the GPU that's the problem, it's the CPU. And the CPU and Surface Books are actually in the screen. So the screen is like, you know, you can detach it, right? And, um, uh, you know, walk around with it. And it's like a tablet. And then you dock it to the, um, the, the keyboard, which has the discrete GPU in it, which is the NVIDIA one. And what happens is the because of the thermal um, management in the screen, where the CPU is, it gets hot and it just starts shutting down. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. Oh, you're on mute too, I think. I didn't mean to, I'd hit it to say something. I didn't unmute myself. Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of, hmm. so you know what the fix is no. on a three and a half thousand dollar laptop. What you do is you put a fan behind it <laughs> the screen, and it basically improves the thermal uh, management by about 20%. Wow. So these people have these $3,000 surface book twos fan and they, they have a USB fan plugged in blowing on the area where the wow. CPU is and it fixes the problem. Wow. Ridiculous, right? There you go. So that's what I'm going to try. What we call those life hacks? Yeah. That, that's a life hack, all right? <laughs> life hack. All right. Well, we better go. We're going to go. So, hey, folks, uh, thank you once again for listening to us. I'm not even going to hit you with the socials this time. You know why? Because you should know them by now, but that's okay. We'll hit you with them next time. Um, and speaking of next time, Hey, hopefully we'll have some actual news to uh, to drop on you. Uh, there's just, like I said, we're in that lull. We got nothing. <laughs> so feel free to hit us up and uh, you know, on Twitter and stuff and tell us, hey, these are a topic that I'd like to hear during these times when we have nothing to say. So that'd be all good. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wizardamusement.com the site to visit for custom pinball shooter rods. Easy to install, totally unique. Mention Blockade Podcast for 10% off your order. WizardAmusement.com. Sales, restoration, customization. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast hosting service that Blockade is delivered to. We can't improve unless you tell us how. Now stop listening and play some pinball.